0: Romans chapter 8, when you get there, let me start off here with the idea that we're almost finished with half of the book of Romans. (laughs) One year to do eight chapters, and we'll finish it more, finish the other eight next year. Really, uh, Romans chapter 8 is the greatest chapter in the entire Bible for the Christian, and the book of Romans is the greatest book in the Bible for the Christian. And we're only going to look at two verses. we got two verses to look at this morning as we're going verse by verse through. If you will stand with me and read Romans chapter 8, verse 29 and verse 30. Stand with me. We're going to read out loud Romans chapter 8, verse 29 and verse 30. Then we'll pray again. We'll get started here. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 begin. For whom he did foreknow... He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Do you, do you know what the one repeating word in there? He. It's not you. It's not what boy, my works and my church and my great faith is what he does to save and to keep me saved. Let's pray. Father, bless. We're about to learn this morning. Challenge us. And I pray you just shake us to the core about these great foundational truths that make us rest in Christ. Because I'm tired of struggling against my own sins and my own failures and things that go through my head and through my heart, I'm just glad to know you have a grip that cannot let go. And I pray that you would bless as we open the word of God, open our hearts to hear it and understand it and believe it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. All right, just two verses, okay? These two verses are why we can believe verse 28 is true. Look the verse this just before. We we looked at it two weeks ago. And we, what's the next word? No, this is what we know. And I just read verse 29 and 30. They tell us why we know it. But look at verse 28. And we know that all things, good and bad, work together for good. But only to them that love God. It's not to those who are have no interest in God. This is not a promise that's for just everybody in the world. It's for those who love God and who are the called according to God. To his purpose. So there are five words um, uh, that are big things that God does uh, in the life of the believer. Okay. These five things make it so that heaven is secure. My 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 destination is settled. I've got the ticket. I'm on board. The pilot is doing all the work. The train has got all the engine. I'm just enjoying the ride. Amen. This thing of of what we just read in verse 29 and 30 tells us these five B things. And he uses big words. I know they're very important Bible words. First one's foreknowledge. We know that uh, verse 29 says there, he did foreknow. Second one, he says, is predestination. These are all very important words. I know you like reading and listening to Hollywood. I tell you what, the Bible words are a whole lot better. Predestination. Come on. Next one's calling. And then uh, whom he calls, he also, my battery might, might be right, he justifies. And then the last one is he glorifies, glorifications. They're the reason why we have confidence in, in, in Christ. And they describe the unfailing journey. You ever get on a boat and you don't know if you're going to, you know, sink or whether it's going to arrive at your destination. I know my life, where I'm headed and how I'm getting there, whatever's going on, I know I will get where I'm going. I know that I know that this journey, the Christian life, is not a guess, a hope, a a mystery. No, it's a done deal, okay? Because of what Christ has done for me, all right? So let's start about that. Let's talk about that first word there. Again, I'm going to read verse 29 For whom he did. For know, this is one of those characteristics of God um, that that you need to know about. Okay, um, and and it's that God is all knowing. Now the, the the Latin word merged in with English is He's omniscient. He's all knowing. Uh, he knows everything all at once. Honestly, you don't know, you know. I, you know, you see people who are really smart and they know a lot of stuff. They're like a human walking in Wikipedia. They don't hold a candle to God. They know lots of facts and figures. God knows absolutely everything all at once. He knows the entirety of time all at once. I mean, he sees the beginning and he sees the end all at the same time because he's outside of time looking in. You got to understand that. God's not struggling through life. You and I are. He sees the end from the beginning. He literally sees everything before it ever starts. Go to Isaiah chapter 46. We will come back to Romans in a little bit. Isaiah chapter 46, a great scripture to know and turn to and to be excited about. Uh, Isaiah 46 verse nine. Isaiah chapter 46 and verse nine. You know what I can remember? The past. That's why God says to Israel, he says, remember the former things of old. And that's a good thing to do, to have good memories, amen? I mean, Christmas should not be a curse because of all the bad memories. But God says, remember the former things of old. Now, that's what we can do. Watch what God can do. For I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there's none like me. Verse 10, declaring the end from the very beginning. And from ancient times, he declares the things that are not yet done, saying my counsel, my wisdom, my plan shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. That's, he can declare the end from the beginning. This is, listen, you need to know that God, you need to believe that God knows the future. When you read your Bible and people say, oh, I just don't like the Old Testament, you better learn the Old Testament because the first 12 chapters of Genesis tell you everything that's going to happen throughout history. Everything that's happening now has already happened before and it's just in a cycle and you can you can generally predict what's going to happen next just from the first 12 chapters of Genesis. God actually sits down a king named Nebuchadnezzar and describes 2,500 years of future history with Kingdoms and empires and battles. And he describes it to a pagan king in the book of Daniel. Daniel describes not only Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom of Babylon, but the kingdom that would follow. The Medes and the Persians followed by Greece, followed by Rome, followed by the eternal kingdom of God. That's all described in, in the book of Daniel. As a matter of fact, uh, the precision of the book of Daniel, you read chapter 6, 7, and 8. And you start to see the description of the battles that were coming up with with Greece against Persia. And I don't care care how much you hate God and how much you disagree with the Bible. No sane atheist comes to the book of Daniel and says, there's no God. Because I've known more atheists get born again because when they found out how precise the book of Daniel is, they went, I guess there's a God. And there is because God knows the future. Do you realize that Jesus knew who would betray him? He didn't guess. <laughs> he didn't say, well, I think it's Tom, you know. <laughs> no, oh, Jesus knew who would betray him. He knew Peter would deny him. And he even told Peter, Peter says, I'd never died. And Peter, Jesus said, before this night is over, you're going to deny me three times. He knew the Jewish leaders and the Roman rulers would crucify him. And he knew three days later, he'd get up again. Amen. He knows the future. You know what God tells us? God tells us there's coming a day where they're going to put a mark or a number or a name in your right hand or in your forehead, and you won't be able to buy or sell without it. That's in your Bible. And that's everything that's going on, technology, uh, artificial intelligence, everything that's going on is predicted as, as a future event in your Bible. You couldn't make it up. God describes a coming world leader who will be absolutely loved and worshiped by the entire world. And people will think he's the Messiah and they'll dump Jesus Christ. That's all predicted in your Bible. Why is that? Because God knows the future. Amen? To God, everything is not out of control. It's all going according to plan. He's working towards his end. As a matter of fact, history ought to be relabeled in your mind as his story because he's working out his plan that's why i trust him that's why when i sit down i pray i'm not panicking i say lord i'm giving you this problem because you know how it works out (laughs) and i trust you to tell me what to do so that we just stay on the same page amen you know it's even more amazing the fact that he knows the future he knows you Jeremiah 1.5, don't go there. I'll just quote it there for time. Before I formed thee, this is what God said to Jeremiah. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. I set you apart and I ordained thee. Even before you were born, I said, that boy's going to be a prophet to Israel. Amen. Do you know he knows you? He knows where you've been. He knows what you've gone through and where you're headed. He knows what you can be if you would just trust him and and let him guide, man. He knows you. Thankfully, nothing you do surprises him. (laughs) I know I surprise my mother. But we can't surprise God because he knows us. Hallelujah. He knew you would mess up before he ever saved you. I've had people come and say, I think I blew it, Brother Ledbetter. I think I'm lost. Why do you think that? Well, I sinned this sin. When he saved you, he knew you would sin that sin. He doesn't renege on his promise, amen. He already knows you. He knows what you're going to do. He knows how you're going to mess up, amen. He can handle any of my failures, any of my weaknesses, any of my disasters, because he's already allowed for it. He built it all into the death of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ fulfilled how much righteousness? All righteousness. So my failure doesn't dent it, doesn't break it. Now, it doesn't mean that I should fail. It doesn't mean that I should live in failure. But my failures don't determine God's outcome. He's going to work everything out for good. Amen, amen, amen. He's called the captain of our salvation. I want you to get an idea of a captain in a ship holding that, that keel. And that wheel. did you know... Jesus Christ is not only the captain in the storm, he's the maker of the storm. He knows what to do to get through it. So you just sit back and enjoy the ride and realize it's gonna be okay. He can work everything out for good. So that's why we're able to say that God knows what he's doing and we can trust him. So foreknowledge simply means God already knows the future and he's guiding the world events toward his perfect will. He's not like a, uh, you know, I've seen some master table tennis guys. I mean, that ball comes at, and they predict with pretty good precision the ability to hit it at just the right angle and knock it over there. But are they always right? Sometimes they miss it. Sometimes they get it in the wrong direction. You see people playing tennis, and they reach up there, and they hit it, and it goes in, away from the other opponent, and the other opponent can't get there in time. So it's, it's a great way. It's a great sport. But see, God doesn't miss. Amen. Everything that's going on, He's directing and helping along the way. He's guiding the world events toward His perfect will, working with the free will and the sinlessness of men. That's where the great debate comes in. It talks about, well, if God you know, we'll turn out do free will, we have free will. Just because He knows how it's going to happen, doesn't mean He made it happen. He knows what you're going to choose. That's why he's made allowance for fixing it. It's absolutely breathtaking. He works with our free will and the sinfulness of men. You say, why is God allowing stuff to go on in the Middle East? Why did he allow Putin to attack Ukraine? Why does he allow? I can't answer that. I just know he knows what he's doing. Can you say that? He knows what he's doing. And he works with stupid people, (laughs) sinful men. And he knows, here's the great truth, he knows who's going to be saved. You need to realize that. He knows who will choose to be saved and who will walk away. He knows who will come in and stand at that door and look inside and then walk away. He knows that. It's foreknowledge to him. And thankfully, thankfully, he chooses to work with those that choose to follow his son. You know, if somebody's, when my kids were growing up, and, and uh, somebody was real nice to me, that was, that was great, you know, i just, I'd be real cordial back to them. But if they ever showed a, a affection and kindness to my kids, they made a friend. You know, they wanted to, to put some money into their hand and wanted to, uh, uh, you know, ask them, what would you like to do or whatever? You know, you, you give attention to my kids and you protect my kids and you watch out for my kids and you help my kids succeed or whatever. You've got my attention. You understand what I'm saying? And when I look to Jesus Christ and I cry out to him and I choose to let him save me, God says, you got my attention. You take my son and you get everything. Amen. He chooses to work with those who choose his son. Let's talk about the second word, predestination. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Now, notice in your Bible, it doesn't stop there. See, every theologian out there that gets way off into the wacko land and they're way too extreme say, well, God already chooses who to get saved and who to get lost. It doesn't say that. Look back there in, in Romans chapter 8. I want you to see what the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. Romans eight twenty-nine. For whom he did foreknow, pre-know, we'd say, already know. He also did predestinate. Not to go to heaven, no, no. But to be conformed to the image, we'd say the likeness of his son, that Jesus, he might be the firstborn among a family, among many brethren. So predestination, some people, to them, it's a scary word, okay? People have argued for... uh, thousands of years about what it means and all this stuff. And you can argue, and I can tell you, I don't, under, I don't understand it fully. Don't you even think about it? Predestination, election, foreknowledge, all this stuff. That's the mind of God. I've got, a, I've got the mind of an ant compared to him. Amen, you understand? So don't think for a second I got it all figured out. You say, well, what about this verse? I have no idea. I just know I like things made real simple. And um, uh, predestination is for Christians. It's not for the lost. It applies to Christians only. It doesn't kick in until a person believes the gospel. Do you understand that? It is God's reaction to our choice to trust Jesus Christ. And once you get saved, it means it's his choice for you now. You and I are not going to remain the same now. Once you got saved, and this is, this is the reality of marriage, Here's a guy, and he's been the same way for 25 years. And when he gets married, he stays the same way for the next 25. And that's not what marriage is, is it? Marriage is a transformation of both people, not just your wife, not just your husband, but both of you into servants who please one another, not themselves anymore. And that change that takes place because of marriage is a picture of the change that takes place because of salvation. It changes me. God designed marriage to change you. God designed salvation to transform us. And uh, we're not supposed to remain the same. Predestination means he's not changing just your destination. He's changing your nature. So it is God's choice for a Christian to be one thing changed into the image of Jesus Christ. So that now that you're saved, Rodney, I'll use you. Now that you're saved, people should see more and more of Jesus and less and less of Rodney. Amen. Now, I don't know what God can do with your accent, but the rest of you can change. Amen. (laughs) This world is not our home. We're just passing through, amen. My destiny has been changed, hasn't it? I'm no longer going to hell. I'm saved from the wrath of God. I'm headed to heaven, amen. But can you imagine if that's all we got? Not at all. God has chosen to change not only our destination, but our nature, to become more like Jesus. Psalm 138, don't go there just for time. You ought to write this down. Psalm 138, verse eight says this, the Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. I wish he would fix my wife. (laughs) But God says, no, I'm working on you, Ledbetter. And David says, the Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever, because you ought to kill me. (laughs) Forsake not the work of thine own hands. Never quit. David says, "I, I trust you're going to transform me. For my, by the way, for most of us, God's got to do a lot of perfecting. So here are the facts, okay? Number one, God wants all men to be saved. These are the facts. 1 Timothy chapter 2 says this. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. How many people does he want saved? All men. It goes on and says he gave himself as a ransom for all He's not, secondly, he's not willing that any should perish. 2 Peter 3, 9 says God is not willing that any should perish. That's that Bible word in John three sixteen, Whosoever believeth on him shall not perish. So it's going to hell. It says he's not. God doesn't look at you and go, boy, that person deserves hell. No, He doesn't look at us that way. He doesn't want anybody to go to hell. He's not willing. He doesn't sit there and go, I'm going to make it so, oh, boy, I really want this guy to end up in hell. God doesn't want anybody in hell. That's why Jesus came and died for all. You say, well, I'm not as bad as so so and so. You know, on our level, we may be able to, you know, make different levels of sin and say, well, they're worse and so on and so forth. But when God sent his son, he died for sinners. Christ Jesus came to this world to save sinners, not just bad ones and not just good ones, but all. So he's not willing that should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen. Eric, God wants everybody to come to the place where they say, what must I do to be saved? That's what he wants. And the third great fact is God gave, he didn't give money to save you. He didn't give theology to save you. He didn't give a church to save you. He gave his son. John 3:16. say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have. He gave his son. That's Christmas. Hallelujah. Amen. So the truth is this. No one is rejected from God's invitation to be saved. You know, if anybody right now is hearing the this gospel, you don't have to wait till I finish. If you bowed your head right now, say, God, did you really die for me? Did you really would you would would you save a wretch like me? There is no way in eternity for God to look and go, No, I'm not saving you. <laughs> God can't do that. There is God cannot reject anybody. It's us that reject Him. It's us that choose. I'll put it off. You know why most people are in hell? Because they neglected to get saved. They put it off till they were older, till 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 they were living cleaner, until maybe, you know, until it made a little more sense. Or they kept putting it off, and then something happened, and they ended up in hell, and they neglected to get saved. Now, I know a lot of people reject it, but it's on them and not on God, is it? That's predestination. Now the now what's amazing is this is um oh i got too much to say i'll have to come back to it another i could preach for three weeks on this stuff what a christian to become like we read there in romans eight twenty nine. look at it again Eight twenty nine. for whom he did foreknow he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son just stop there for a second we're supposed to become like jesus god is committed to making us become like jesus Now, I know God, the Bible loves me, but he doesn't love me as me. He wants me to be like his son, okay? He didn't look around and say, oh, Bill, I like Bill. I wish everybody was like Bill. That's not what God says, amen. (laughs) We all like Bill. But when God saved Bill, it wasn't so that he could send Bill up and say, everybody, I want you to be like Bill. Not at all. He wants everybody to be like Jesus. Philippians 1, six my life verse, being confident of this, this very thing, that he which hath begun a good what? In me, that good work is to, 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 to transform me, to, to change me, to be like Jesus. He that hath begun a good work, like a, a clay modeler, somebody who's working with clay, uh, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, until the day I get to go home. You know what he uses to make me like Jesus? Life. (laughs) You know, when I was uh, a kid, uh, maybe some of you had it as well, I would go to some people's homes and their grandma would be there. And their grandfather would be there. And grandma, in these other, now it wasn't the same in my house, but grandma had grandma's spanking spoon. You know what it was? A fly swatter with a pillow on it. (laughs) And, and you know, grandmas just can't can't correct their children, They're their grandchildren. Now, they did their children, but they're just too kind to their grandchildren. I understand all that. But that's how we want God to treat us is with a fly swatter with a pillow on it. God doesn't do that. He uses life to change you. Say, I wish God had a different life in mind for me. Yeah, I understand that. But God uses suffering. And he uses being a success. Don't you sell out and say, well, so-and-so, they're doing well. I guess it's not fair. No, no, no. He's using both. He'll use troubles and triumphs. When he gets you to obey his words, he's changing you. And when you reap, what you sow because you have disobeyed him, he's changing you. There's never a moment, nod your head, there's never a moment he's not working on you. Amen. He'll use your husband. He'll use your wife. He'll use your kids. That's why you can't kill him. You got to keep him around because God's using your kids. He's using your parents. He's using your lack of parents. He uses your pastor. He uses your evil, wicked boss. The list goes on and on and on and how God uses people and things to transfer you and me. He uses big and small. If only you would just stop and go, Lord, thank you for today. It was rough, but you were working on some rough edges and it, and it, and it shows. You revealed things that were wrong in me and I thank you for that. You get to that place, God says, you know, I don't have to be so rough tomorrow. <laughs> you know, the change that, that he's working on will be glorious. He never, you know, uh, my mom taught me how to work with clay on a spinning wheel and taught me how to sculpture and stuff like this. And there were many times that I would mess up. God doesn't mess up. You, you think I've, I've, I've blown it. God says, you haven't blown it, man. I know how to fix this thing and I'll make it right. You got to get to the place where you just start trusting even in the disaster that you caused that God can make it glorious. You're in Romans 8, look at verse 17. Romans 8, 18, sorry, Romans 8, 18. For I reckon, I understand fully that the sufferings, ooh, look at those words, of this present time are not worthy to be compared with what? The glory which shall be revealed in us. Look at 2 Corinthians 4. Look to the right. Go to 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 17. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. <laughs> Start in verse 16. It says this, for which cause? We don't quit. That's what he means when he says we faint not. For which cause we faint not, though, but though our outward man perish. I mean, you're killing me. I'm worn out, tired. I just want to die. My body's given out. Okay. Though our outward man perish, yet the inward man, your soul, is renewed day by day, verse 17, for our light affliction. I think he put those words in not meaning that, oh, you know, I I, I couldn't get my coffee today. No, no, no. He... When he's writing these words, he's been in prison, he's been beaten, he's been stoned, he's been rejected, he's been brought before court after court, and he says, it's a light affliction. That's how he looks at it. That's what he's concluded. He says, when I weigh what I'm going through and what I'm going to go through, (laughs) for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, it worketh for us. Notice those words, worketh. It changes us. It works on us. A far more exceeding and eternal weight of, you know, when you step into heaven one of these days, it may be by rapture. It may be by the resurrection. When you step into glory, not only will heaven be glorious, you will be. Amen. The glory that be revealed in us. I mean, I already think heaven's going to be wonderful, but God's going to make me wonderful. That's a miracle, amen? <laughs> That's what we're predestined to become. That's the whole point. And it's for Christians. People use this word and apply it to the unsaved. You go right ahead. I know it works and it's working for me. So in simple words, let me remind you, it means that God knows who will believe on Jesus. And he chooses those that choose his son. Come on. And he is committed to making those believers to become like his son. And how does he do it? By working on them every day until death brings them home. That's our predestination. You know, when God committed himself to me, he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You and I belong to him. He paid too high a price for him to just say, "I'm giving up on Gleb." I got to pick on Gleb now today. All right. <clears throat> Third point. Third word there. Whom he did for no, he predestinated those he predestinated. He called. So look at that word. I like I like reviewing. So I just want you to understand. God knows who's going to believe. Secondly, mm, this thing's not working. He makes sure that they are on track to become more and more like Jesus. Now, some of us get off track, don't we? You know what God does? If you're saved, I'll be real plain. Every one of us still have that stupid free will and that, that, that sin nature lurking around back there. And we go off track. We go our own way. God is committed. He says, if you're saved, he will not let you stay that way. He will correct you. He will chasten you. He will push and pull to get you back on track or else he's a delinquent father. So one of the ways you know you're saved is you don't enjoy the sin anymore. You still do it, and the pleasures of sin are still there. Well, boy, God is there too, (laughs) and you just can't get away with it. So God makes sure that's the predestination of the Christian. He's going to make sure you keep being changed. And thirdly, third thing about review is that how does he he put us on track? Well, it's because he's calling us to a different way of life. When I say calling, I mean to summon us to a perfect purpose. Now, I hope you never get a court summons. Do you know what a a court summons is? That's where you get a letter in the post, or maybe the sheriff delivers it and says, you're supposed to be in court on such a day. You know what that is? A calling. (laughs) And it's serious, and you can't miss that court date, can you? Do you know when you got saved, God gave you a summons? Which is a calling to be different than you currently are, he says. Now, Ledbetter, I know you're 17 years old. I know you want to be an astronaut. You want to be an aerospace engineer. You want to do this. And you want to do that. I'm calling you to a different life. You say that's what right does he have? He's God, yes. and let me be real plain. This is a little bit ahead of myself, but he knows me, and he knows what what good thing. I can do instead of my thing, which will be empty and wasted. You want to read about a wasted life? Read about Solomon. He had all the money, all the girls, Mary Monroe, John F. Kennedy, uh, Bugsy Malone, the mafia, and all of the wealthiest people, Hugh Hefner, all of these people couldn't hold a candle to Solomon. You know what Solomon said? It was a wasted life. Do you know what? If God calls you to be a chemist, or God calls you to be a pianist, or God calls you to be a preacher, a church starter, whatever God calls you to do, it's perfect. And you got to start to trust that he knows what he's doing. Um, go to Ephesians. You're in Corinthians. Go to the right. Find Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians chapter one, verse 18 Ephesians 1.18, the eyes of your understanding, this is what Paul was praying for the Christians at Ephesus, is that the eyes of your understanding be an enlightened, your eyes to be opened, that ye may know what is the, you say, oh, I hope God never calls me to be a missionary. Don't you ever say that? Well, I hope God doesn't call me to Australia. That'd be terrible. Everything's backward down there, upside down. They talk funny. Can you imagine, look what he says, that you would know what is the hope of his calling? What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance that's among all the saints? You thought your only purpose in life was to work a job, pay the bills, raise kids, and come to church. That's what you thought. God's calling is infinitely higher. God's calling is to every broken, messed- up, sinful, purpose person. To live like Jesus did, to love like he did, to give, to serve, to help like Jesus did. So whatever you're doing with your life, God tells you to go higher. That doesn't mean that you have to stop being a chemist or that you have to stop being a taxi driver. It means be a Christian, let Christ shine wherever you're at and raise up the level of what you're doing. I don't care what it is. God's calling is greater. Now, he may just call a farmer to be a missionary. I know God called an 80-year-old man to go down and confront Pharaoh and bring out an entire nation out of slavery. You know who I'm talking about? An 80-year-old bad-attitude Baptist named Moses who said, I don't want to. They won't listen to me. I'm useless. No, I can't even speak right. And God says, you'll do it (laughs) because you're called. Amen. So I don't think that's fair. Talk to Jonah. All I know is this. We have been repurposed. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You're back to the left. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We have been repurposed for a greater job. 1 Corinthians 1 2. Honestly, in this day and age, churches ought to be growing faster and bigger, and more and more young men should be called to the ministry. And yet it's the opposite, isn't it? Where's the failure? Is it God? I think God is still calling. I think we don't want to answer. Look at your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2. Says, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be what? I Quit living like a sinner. You're called to live like a saint. You're called to live, think, love, give, die, like you're already in heaven. Amen. You're, you're you're called into fellowship with God's dear Son. Uh. And you're uh, I got to take it to look at first twenty six. I'm skipping things, but I want you to see this. This is probably the best part of the whole message. First Corinthians chapter one verse twenty six. We are called most of all. I need you to give me all of your attention for just three seconds, and then everything else after that. Anyway, when God calls a sinful, broken, messed up mental person like me, into his kingdom. He called me to confound the good and the wise and the powerful and the rich and the able. Look at this, First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, to put the word Schwarzenegger there, Arnold, anyway, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen, there's our word, the foolish things of the world. That's us, to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things. I can't do it. I can't can't teach. I can't hand out a gospel tract. God called you to hand out a gospel tract, to open your mouth, to give the gospel. It says, to confound the things which are mighty. He uses weak people like you and me to just conquer the mighty. Verse 28. And he uses the base things, the bottom things of the world, and the things which are despised, that's you and me, hath God chosen, use the word called. He's chosen, yea, and the things which don't even exist to bring to naught the things that are. Why? So that no flesh should glory in his presence. If God ever uses the likes of Craig Ledbetter, at Texan, God ever uses me is because he did it, not me. Amen. And if God ever uses you, it's because you finally got doing what God called you to do and then it gets done. Isn't that cool? By the way, God doesn't change his mind. In Romans chapter 11, 29, it says the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance, which means this, he doesn't change his mind. That's how come I know God is still for Israel. That's how come I know you're still going to heaven because when he's elected to save you, (laughs) when you got saved, he can't go, I changed my mind. No, he doesn't change his mind. And when he calls you to do something, He doesn't change his mind. Thank God. So here's the point. I got to catch up with myself. Um, Yield to his calling in your life. You need to be asking, young man, old man, I don't care who you are. You need to be asking God, God, do you want to use me? Could you really use me? And you know what God will probably say? Yeah. But he might say, yeah. Amen. That's what we need because yielding is our job. He does the calling. Nobody just says, Pastor, I'll be a missionary. I'm glad. Amen but God better call you, not you. Amen? Make yourself available to God, but wait for him to say, yeah. Amen. Um, mm-mm. Somebody says, well, it's, it's, it's not fair. I, I think it's brilliant. You know what a designer does? A manufacturer engineer makes things for a purpose. And if you make a watch, can you imagine somebody taking a watch and making using it as a footstool? Uh, Not a footstool, a a doorstop. You know, here's this Rolex watch at the door, and you bring (laughs) there. What was that? It's a Rolex. It was designed for better things. Amen. Huh? How many? How many of you would open up your car door and find a chicken coop? I don't (laughs) don't think an automobile was designed to be a chicken coop. Amen. That's the wrong designer. <laughs> it's the wrong purpose of it. It was designed for better things. And, folks, I'm telling you, to take a beautiful life and make them into a drug addict or sexually abused is just wrong. You were designed for better things. You we're saved for a greater purpose than just working a lousy job or being in bed with somebody different every weekend. We were designed, we were saved for better things. The moment you got saved, we were called to a high calling. Forgetting the things which are behind, Paul says, and reaching forth and those things which, are, which were before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Number four, justification. Five words were four down, one two to go. Go back to Romans chapter 8 verse 29. Yes, ma'am. Romans 8:29 for whom he did foreknow, then he also, he also did predestinate. He committed us to be conformed to the image of his son. You know, in heaven, there won't be some people who are crippled. There won't be some people who aren't all there. <laughs> there won't be some people who are just halfway in and halfway out. No, we'll all be in the family of God. We, we're, we're in the beloved, ladies and gentlemen. We're in the family of God and we're made perfect. But let me keep going. Verse uh, verse 30, moreover, he did predestinate them also to be called, and whom he called them, he also, the next word is, justified. Now, simply, it means making a sinful person perfectly righteous, as if they'd never sinned. And, you know, a lot of people think, well, when I get to heaven, I'll be perfect. Well, amen. I understand that. But he's not talking about you doing perfect he's talking about declaring you perfect declaring you righteous god can look at you in light of what his son jesus christ did and when his son was declared damned and condemned and judged as all mankind sinful mankind he can now look at me and says forgiven pardoned justified that's a declaration of God, and it happens now, not when I walk into the gates of heaven. I am justified. We read it already in, in, in Romans chapter four. Uh, it says, "To him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness, not his works. Romans 5:19 says, "For as by one man's disobedience, that's Adam, many were made sinners. And so by the obedience of one, Jesus, so many shall be made righteous. Wow, man. From the moment we believed, we became righteous before God. That's what God did. How do I know God's going to work everything out? Because he already made everything right. My history, my past has been washed away. My future is cleaned already. I can't understand it. I just sit there and go, wow. How does he do it? Look at for uh, first Corinthians, go to right, go to first Corinthians, second second Corinthians chapter five. St Corinthians five seventeen. St Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, <clears throat> he doesn't say doesn't say, you know in church or in baptism, or all this stuff, you got to get into Christ. Somebody says, well, I'm really into this music. Well, I'm really into this hobby. You need to get into Jesus Christ. You need to follow him, love him, surrender to him, and believe on him because he's the only thing that will carry you out of here into heaven. And if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away as far as God's concerned. Behold, all things are become new. Now, how did that happen? Look down to verse 21. For he hath made him, this is God, hath made Jesus to be sin for us was Jesus made a sinner no but he was labeled every sin you've ever done every thought you've ever thunk every act you've ever acted on every temptation you've ever given into he was labeled he was condemned as if he did it he made him to be sin for us talking about he who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him how did God do it he swapped us out I should be in hell. I should have died. I should be under, and I was, under the wrath of God, but Jesus Christ took the wrath. Now all I get is love. All I get is mercy. All I get is eternal life. Uh, Let me finish my review. One more time, foreknowledge. It means God knows who's going to believe and who's going to follow his son, and he knows who's not going to. He makes sure that those who are on track to become more and more like Jesus, he makes sure they do. And the question is, how does he do that? By calling us, by purposing us, and lastly, as we said, by justifying us. He made me righteous so that now when I sin, it doesn't come back and haunt me in the big scheme of things. In my, in my record with God, it's already forgiven. Isn't that awesome? But there's one more word, and it's the best word out of it all, it's glorification. Back there in Romans 8, 29, hallelujah is right. It says, them he justified and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now, from the moment you and I believe God committed himself, uh, from the moment you and I believe the gospel, God committed himself to elevating us to the glorious place of sonship. Now, that's those are big words. What does that mean, pastor? I'm the son of Barbara and William Ledbetter and my parents who are sinners who have a temporary life gave me sinful nature and a temporary life but when i got born again i got a new nature that never ends i i have been made a child of god it is hard to actually say the words and realize i'm in the family of god you know when god talked about jesus when jesus was baptized god says this this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now I can appreciate, I can understand that, Jerry. I can understand God appreciating his son. Amen. He says, I'm well pleased with my son. He looks at Craig Ledbetter. How could he ever say that? But when I got born again, you know what he says? Look at Ephesians. You're in Corinthians, go to the right. Find Ephesians chapter one in verse six. Ephesians one in verse six. to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he, God, hath made us accepted in the beloved. I think I've given you the illustration before, or if I had, if there were three of me up here, three people up here, if I had uh, Tom and Gleb, and we're the father, the, the, the son, and the Holy Ghost, and we're up here, and then comes Declan. And we all look at Declan, and we go, do we? Yeah, no, okay, all right. And we make him accepted in that closeness of the family of God and then God says and even gavin and even leo and pat you're accepted in the closeness of the trinity we are what does it say we are we he has made us accepted in the beloved in that closeness that God has with the son that's amazing when 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 uh When Jesus went up to the Mount of Transfiguration, as he got up there, without even warning them, he was transfigured in front of them. Remember that? Matthew chapter 17. And he became all glorious, came brighter than the sun. Peter, James, and John fell on their face and they said, let let us just stay up here. And the father appeared and said, this is my beloved son. Hear him, then the cloud passed away and then Jesus back to normal again. And the idea is Jesus showed a little bit of the glory that he has and he was showing a little bit of the glory we're going to have when we get home to heaven. That's why in this life, it's dirt, muck, it's, it's hard, it's painful, but it's a light affliction it's just for a moment compared to the glory that's ahead. He's elevated. And one of these days he's going to raise us up to heaven and we're going to be treated as a son. Jesus, I already said that, showed us a glimpse when he um, was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. And it is the final work of Christ in us and it happens when we die. Just, just, mm. Um, he will change every last bit of us into the likeness of Christ. I think he wants to do more of the work now than then, but even if he's very, if you're very hard-hearted and even if you're very slow to change, he'll finish the work. That's the promise of God, amen? You're not trying to work your way to heaven. You, you already are going, and I'm here to tell you, these verses in Romans are to remind us that what's going on in our life is trying to transform us instead of the world conforming us. You see the difference? The world tries to make us in its image. And whatever's going on in my life comes from the hand of God and is trying to transform us into his image. Um, King David said these words in Psalm 17. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness one day. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. That's David saying one of these days when I get resurrected, I will have your likeness. That's under the Old Testament. It's true for all believers. You're going to be just like Jesus Christ. Start acting like it now. Amen. So, put up with the troubles and the suffering of your life, Christian. Stop the complaining. Stop giving up. Stop quitting. We have a sure hope that everything's going to work out for good. All because we believe the gospel. We say, what do you do to get all that, brother? better. Just believe it. God made it simple so a child could get it. So a man on a cross next to Jesus Christ could get it. He couldn't get baptized. He couldn't join a church, but he could believe it. Trust that God is gonna make everything in your life and everything in my life and everything in all of our lives work out together for good. It may not look like it. It may look like a disaster, but in the end, when we get to heaven, we'll look back and we're gonna go, wow, God did it. Trust it. It's a sure thing. But as I said at the beginning, this is not for everyone. Not everyone is headed to heaven. Not everyone is in the family of God. Not everyone is being changed for the better. You know what life does to to most people? Makes them bitter, doesn't it? You want to make it so that you're not part of Romans 3.23. It says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us without Jesus Christ will fall short of that. God wants you to get you all the way home through Jesus Christ. Would you stand and bow your heads in prayer? Think about what Jesus Christ did. Don't think about what Mary did. Don't think about what the pastor or church or anybody else. Just realize what Jesus Christ did. He calls you to follow him. He invites you to trust him, to believe on him, to worship him. And not just as a faraway sinner, but as somebody who is invited to be a son, a daughter, a child of God. All you got to do is believe him. All you got to do is call on his name. His name is Jesus. And it's very easy to say, you can ask right now. You can. You don't have to understand it, but you gotta believe it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should no longer perish, but have ever. You can go out of here with everlasting life, all over you. Going to take you home to heaven because of believing in Jesus Christ, and you can walk right out of here as well. Put it off, reject it. That's up to you. But God doesn't want that. God actually wants you with him for eternity. He'd like to show you what he can do with you if you'd let him. So bless what we've heard today, God. I pray it encouraged a bunch of us, and I pray it convicted some others. Lord, we've been letting the world conform us. We need to start saying, Lord, I'm 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 now knowing the pressures of the world, the temptations of the world, even my failures are for good if I just keep my eyes on you. And let you work it together for a grand purpose. If I would just start yielding and letting you use me. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.